You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen, amen, amen. And the church said amen. Amen. Welcome to the house of the Lord. So glad to have you here on this midweek Wednesday night. And we're going to dismiss... Amen. Before we dismiss our classes, it's good to have Brother Cade Wilson here. Amen. Give him a great big welcome. Amen. I don't know next time. I don't know next time he's back, maybe for the wedding. I don't know. We'll see. So, um, but we're, we're glad he's here. We're going to dismiss our children and we're going to dismiss our youth class as well this evening. And... It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Our remember my mother. I don't know if they mentioned anything about my mother. Okay, for those she's doing okay. Uh, Sunday morning I was preaching about storms coming in your life. You don't know when's going to come. And uh, so she broke her wrist Sunday night, and we spent quite a while in the hospital there. But praying God bless her. Amen. And you're here tonight. Uh, turn to somebody and say, lucky you, you're here tonight when pastor is covering some interesting passages of scripture. So I'll make this disclaimer right now. Um, this, this will touch on things of great interest uh, to uh, our, our humanity, but it may not be applicable to you in your season of life right now. Um, but you chose to come here tonight. We're teaching this series. I didn't plan on this date that this is when we're going to cover this topic, but it's in the Word of God. And if you're reading through the Word on your own, you would be reading through this. And so I do think it is appropriate to teach and to talk about in uh, a setting like this because God gives it to us in a setting like this. And so we're going to have uh, a look tonight at... 1 Corinthians, we're picking up our series here. It's been a little bit, and uh, we need the help of the Holy Ghost tonight. So uh, for those of you that don't know 1 Corinthians, we're in a series here, and we're coming to the second half of chapter 6 and chapter 7. We'll be talking about fornication and sex in marriage tonight. So these are the topics that are on the docket. And if we've ever been alive in a time where we need good, clear, biblical instruction or a voice on this, we are, we are here tonight. We're here today. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to have his way. Amen. With us tonight with a word. Can you do that right now? Let's lift our voice. Lord, I thank you tonight for the blessing of your spirit. I thank you for every promise that you have given to us. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your Holy Ghost, God, that guides us and leads us. I thank you for your word. I pray tonight you would open up our hearts and our minds. Let us approach your word, God, reverently, Lord, fearfully, Lord. Let us take it humbly, Lord, and let us apply it into our heart and into our mind. And I pray that you would shape us, Lord, by your truth we're made free. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord. I hope you love the Word of God, and I know you do, or else you would not be here this evening. 
I love the Word of God. We're walking through this series, and it's taken us a little bit here. I know we've had uh, a three-week break um, as we're returning to this, uh, and we were in chapter 6. So if you missed uh, everything heretofore, you can go back, catch it on the podcast or YouTube, and uh, you can pick up. We had covered the first part of the chapter, which Paul is addressing in this segment. He's addressing issues into the church, uh, problems in the church, and pr- problems that they were having. They were taking one another to their uh, Corinthian-style court and accusing one another. And we talked about how that was detrimental, not only to the situation, but then to the body of Christ and their witness at large. And then... He jumps straight from this, and he revisits something that he's previously spoken about clearly in chapter 5. So in chapter 5, he talks about sexual immorality in the church, and uh, not just generally, but he, he speaks about it specifically. He talks about the specific instance that was going on and the context there. And then he's drilling, uh, uh, addressing problems where two brethren would go to law, bringing shame. And now he's going back not to something that uh, the previous two times, the, the, the fornication episode and then the taking one another to law were specific instances of publicly shaming the church and, and witnesses of public interest. But now he's going to address some bad theology, if you will, that is their justification for uh, fornication in the church. So now on a different different token, they are uh, sex, being sexually immoral, and they are justifying themselves for doing so. And so Paul is addressing this. And in this next passage, we're going to pick up here at verse 12. In verse 12 and 13, he quotes, Paul quotes them. We don't know whether he's quoting them, particularly the sayings of the church or, or sayings that were common among the Corinthian culture and the Corinthian people. But Paul quotes them. And we, I want to remind you here that this is Paul's, uh, we believe it's his second letter because in, in earlier on he makes allusion to the fact that he had already written to them. And so in this letter, Paul is going to be addressing things that he's heard. And then in chapter 7, he's going to be addressing things that they specifically write to him about. We only have one side of this conversation. We only have the letter that Paul would write, which later would become part of the Word of God. They would accept this. The early church would accept this as the authority of the Word of God, and they would bind this together just with the Old Testament, and they would pass this around, and they would treat it as such. And so we know uh, the original letters written to Paul were not uh, authoritative. They were not the Word of God, and so it didn't really matter. They were focused upon what God said through His apostle, and so those letters were lost. So we don't have that, so we have to approach the text and take an investigative look to try to presume what was going on, what they were asking, and we can do so pretty, pretty, uh, uh, I think, honestly, without doing any damage to the Scripture, and and to make a, a few presumptions 
on what the context possibly could be that Paul is addressing here in the church. Now, we know from reading this passage all the way through from verse 12 down to uh, verse number 20, we know that Paul is addressing sexual immorality here and a specific kind. So look at what he says in verse 12. Let's begin in verse number 12. He said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what's going on here in these verses? Well, Paul is quoting them, and he is addressing two bad theologies, bad ideas, bad thinking that has crept in. The first thing that he's quoting here is this statement, all things are lawful for me. Okay, this statement, all things are lawful for me, literally is referencing their concept that everything is permissible. I can do anything I want. That's literally how that would be translated. It's a false view of freedom. So they are saying we're free in Christ. We have Christian liberty. God has saved me. He's redeemed me. He set me free. He said, me free, yes. He said, me free. Remember that song? And so they take that and they apply a false view of freedom. Don't tell me what I can't do. I can do all things. I can do anything I want. Paul said, Paul responds, said, no, all things are not expedient. Not all things are going to benefit you. All things are law for me. That's their protest. But I will not be brought under the power of any. So what Paul is saying is he's resisting this false freedom because in reality, what's happening here, we're going to see, is that they're saying, I'm free to live however I want. I'm free to fornicate. And he's going to address the actual issue. And that is that there were Christian men in their community that were visiting the prostitutes. Now, Corinth, if you'll forget our background, was known for harlotry and prostitution. Uh, the, the temple to the goddess of Venus was situated in one of the highest points. So anywhere from the city, you could see that. And some uh, his, historians tell us that maybe upwards of a thousand prostitutes at any time were at work serving in the temple. And of course, prostitution was their form of idolatry, the way that they would serve in the temple. And so they would see this and they would go and say, I can go do this. And you can't tell me what I'm doing. I've been set free. And Paul says that your false freedom is a bondage worse than what the Lord saved you from. I will not be brought under the power of any. And so here you are declaring your freedom, but in reality, we see that you are not free, but you are bound by your sexual lust, and you are yielding yourself to the evil things, the sensual things of the world that God saved you from. So now you're no different than you were before, except you are deceiving yourself into thinking you're free when you're not free, and at least previously, you knew you weren't free. All right. 
See the danger there? See the damage there? I'm free. I don't need to be set free. But in reality, reality, you're still bound. So this is what they're talking about here. Okay. So then in verse 13, he says, meat is for the belly and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication before the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now here's the second idea. The first idea they had was this false sense of freedom. The second idea they had... I can do anything I want. That was the first idea that was wrong that was enabling this. I can do anything I want. The second idea they had was, well, the meat is for the belly and the belly is for meat. And so God's going to destroy both of them. So it doesn't matter. Since we are all going to die, uh, the body's going to be destroyed. So whatever I do in the body has no bearing because uh, the body doesn't matter. I'm spiritual. I connect with God through the spirit. My spirit is going to be saved. My soul is going to be saved. And so my body doesn't matter. So I can do whatever I want in the body. And it has no bearing on my spiritual being. And so this was the second idea that they had. Well, because God is going to destroy the body, therefore it doesn't matter whatever I can do with the body. And of course, Paul comes back at this and says, absolutely not. He said the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Your body, now he's talking physical body, and there's a whole great study in this right here that you can jump off on. Your physical body is for the glory of God. And then he says, and the Lord for the body. Now he's going to get back to this. Look at what he says in verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. So now Paul connects us with something that's very important. And that is the, 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 the doctrine, the idea, the promise of resurrection. God hath raised up the Lord. Yes, we know that it was the power of the omniscient, almighty God that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave after he was crucified, dead and buried. It was the power of God resurrected. And when he was resurrected, he was given a glorified body. And uh, in that body, Scripture tells us he walked through walls. In that body, he appeared and he disappeared. In that body, he did some pretty amazing things. That was by the power of God. And Paul says, God raised, just as God raised up Christ out of the grave, amen, and resurrected that body, so also you, your body, yeah. Yes. is going to be resurrected. Yes. Paul says, what? You think your body doesn't matter? Right. That body that you don't care about, that you're just treating however you want, that's the body that God is going to resurrect amen. again. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yes. So here's this mindset. I can live however I want, do whatever I want. And the second thing, it doesn't matter what I do to my body because I'm going to live for eternity. He's going to... He's going to it's going to be my spirit, so it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And Paul says, absolutely not. Your body, your physical body, is important to the Lord because it's that body that God is going to resurrect. Now, you've heard me mention this a, lot, a few times. Uh, 
in the last few weeks in maybe different settings and things, but we are a whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And you can't separate that and say, well, I worship God in my spirit, so it doesn't matter how, what I do with my body. No, that, that is why we... Now, this is why Paul says you can't fornicate because your body matters. It's the same reason why we say you ought not be drinking yourself drunk. You ought not be uh, 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 killing yourself with narcotics. You ought not be doing drugs and things that are harmful for your body. You ought not be uh, uh, killing yourself with gluttony. You ought to take care of the stewardship of your body. Why? Because your body does matter to the Lord. This body's going to be resurrected. Amen. 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 So I ought to take care of my body, not like the world takes care of the body. The world takes care of the body for them, for their own lust, for their own power, for their own fame, for everybody. Look at my body. That's why the world's taking care of my body. No, we ought to take care of our body because our body is for the glory of the Lord. Not for us, but we take care of this because I'm not my own, as he's going to say. You're bought with a price. This body belongs to the Lord. So now I understand that there's cancers and diseases and things that, and sicknesses that can come in that can affect us, that there's nothing that we can do to, uh, um, to, to, to fight against. We, we live in this life. It's appointed and a man wants to die. No, we can't fight off all of those things. But as a general rule, the church ought to be, uh, ought to look better physiologically than the world. Why? Because we're not doing the things of the world. Right. Yeah. Have you ever met somebody that's worldly? You know what I'm talking about? Like how fast does prostitution and alcoholism and addiction age somebody's body? Yes. Yes. Amen. You give glory to God when that's not you. Amen. Well, I'll go on. All right. Know ye not? That your bodies are the members of Christ. You're the members of Christ. You belong to God. Why? Because he's put in you. Now, I know, I know right now you're not living in a resurrected body. Praise God. But inside of you, your body right now, there is a hope of the promise that someday. Amen. Today in Pasadena, Texas, they laid to rest a late pastor emeritus of this church, Reverend Paul Davidson. And I spoke with his daughter earlier this week and on the uh, obituary and in their their, uh, statement of all the family, as, as they would put that out, they took care to make sure that written in there, while we are mourning the loss, we are confident that there is a hope. And they put the verse, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. They put that on there. Why? Because there's a hope and a promise. We don't sorrow. Is there sorrow? Yes, there's sorrow. But we don't sorrow like others sorrow. (laughs) Yes, there's sorrow and yes, there's pain. But there's not pain like others have pain. (laughs) We miss them now. But when we go to bed at night, we know, hey, they're they're in a much better place right now. In fact, I, I, I ought to be envying them. 
Because there's something inside of this body, even though it's not resurrected yet, even though it's still in the carnal, there is within this body, there is a hope. <laughs> That's why the songwriter would, would write, don't weep for me when I'm gone. <laughs> don't you cry for me. I know you're going to miss me, but don't cry for me because I have deep inside of me the hope and the promise of the resurrection. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands unto the Lord. I've been joined together. So we're joined together in the promise of that. We have a promise of that. We are a part of the body of Christ. So know ye not that your bodies, your bodies, your bodies now, your broken bodies, broken sorry bodies now, those bodies, that's what he's talking about now, these bodies right here. I'm, I'm, my hair's changing colors. I, I told Caitlin, where's she at? I told her, I said, I need some new promo pics. Uh, I said, you know, people ask for something, they want a picture, I need to send it out, give me, give me something. And she sent me a couple, and Janelle said, oh my goodness, you look so old in that one picture. I said, thanks, babe. That, that was me. That was really me. I don't think she put a filter on that. Maybe we'll just tell her she put a filter on that or something. <laughs> but your body now is a member of Christ. So look at what he says. Shall I then take the members of Christ? Here it is. And make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Never. Am I going to take that which is joined to Christ and I'm going to take it after it's been joined to Christ and pull it away and join it to something else? Would I take Christ? Would I take Christ and try to join Him with a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. He's, he's quoting Genesis chapter 3 here. Remember our, Genesis, our origin series? Going back to that, Genesis chapter 3. These two shall be one flesh. There is a union that takes place when, when a husband and a wife, a man and a woman come together. Uh, it should be done under the, the, the eye of the Lord. The authority of God should be done in holy matrimony, a sacred thing set apart. But he said, you're going to take something that's already joined with God and you're going to join it with a harlot Harlotry that's just joining themselves with anybody anytime, but he that committeth fornication. Where am I at? Verse 17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When you're joined to God, you're in union with God. What's he saying here? You can't be in union with God and union with a harlot at the same time. You can't be saying, yeah, my spirit's, my spirit's connected to the Lord, but your body's connected to a harlot. That's literally what he's saying here. You cannot allow that to happen. Now, he's addressing a specific problem that was taking place there in Corinth because the men of the culture were going and joining themselves to the prostitutes, and the prostitutes were serving on the high hill out in the open for everyone to see, and the men were justifying it. But we live in a day and age where we haven't put it up on the hill on high for everybody to see, we brought it into the privacy of the home where no one sees. But you're still doing the same thing when you're joining yourself to something that is other than God. You cannot say, I'm joined in the Spirit, but in 
the sexual lust of the body, you're joining with something else. And pornea, remember the word here for fornication, this translated fornication, pornea does not just apply in one context, but it's broadly spread. So what is his implication here? Look at this. There's exclusivity. You can't be joined to the Lord and joined to the other. The physical body counts. So what's his answer? Flee fornication. Run away from it like poison. Flee fornication. Run away from that like poison. You ought to, you ought to go on uh, an offensive at your house. Rid yourself of everything that, that would uh, uh, be promiscuous, that would invade your home, invade your marriage, invade your children. Don't, don't, God, don't let it be said of us that our children were exposed to pornea in the confines of our own home. Be radical. Why? Because it is a poison that destroys. This is what Paul is, he's not talking about some just half-hearted. He's talking about a radical flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So, now this is an interesting thing that he says here. The first admonishment he gives us on why we ought not to do this is, number one, your body is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to you. You don't take what is God's and join it together with a harlot. That's the first thing. That ought to be motivation enough. But here's what he says secondly. He says, secondly, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. You sin, sexual immorality, sexual sins are sins against your own body. What does he mean here? Well, I think it means more than just the ramifications that the sin you're committing in sexual immorality is actually harmful to your own body. Now, science has proven time and time again that it is, that it is impossible. I I believe the science declares that it is impossible for two virgins who enter into a monogamous relationship for life to be infected with certain uh, venereal diseases. It is impossible. And yet, would you would think with science like that, man, you want to talk about cutting down all of the diseases. You think with the science like that, that is so absolute, that we would it would just make sense for our governments and our societies just to be on a rampant campaign that says we ought to, we ought to uh, stop uh, you know, immorality. Immorality is the cause for a lot of things. And this is what Paul is arguing for, and yet it's not. We're finding ways to uh, uh, get our children experiencing sex with, without their parents' knowledge about it. We're sexualizing everything in our culture. It, and it's happening in our entertainment. It's happening in our... We have, we have sexualized everything in our, in our nation. You can't sell a cheeseburger on TV in today's world without using sex to get people's attention. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
When the science proves that if you would just keep yourself from this, think of all the things that, that, that it would help. Think of all of the money that would be saved if we would just teach this. But no, why? Why? Because men love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They love darkness rather than light. Let's not turn the lights on. Let's just keep it dark in here. Let's just keep pretending like this isn't the issue. Let's just keep pretending like we need another program, we need another this, we need another medicine, we need another this. And all the while, we're just messing up all kinds of other stuff. This is what Paul's saying. But I don't think he's just saying that this is going to impact your body because there's other things you can do. You can sin without the body other ways, and it can come back to hurt you too. But what is he saying here? Your body, your body, when he's talking to those in the church, your body that has been redeemed and sanctified and and the promise of the resurrection has resided inside of you, when you sin against your body by fornication, you are taking yourself out of oneness with Christ and you're putting it under the mastery of the harlot. And that's why Paul said, I will not be put under the mastery, he said, under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. So, he goes on with this, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. God is the one that gave you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is not something that you did because you were smart enough or talented enough or whatever. No, you were nothing, but God put his spirit inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he says, and ye are not your own. He's asking this question. Do you not understand? You're not your own. You belong to the Lord, for ye are bought with a price. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Christ purchased our salvation? This cost him something. Don't think, oh, it didn't really matter to God. He's God. It didn't really cost him anything. No, 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 no. See, it would be easy for us to say that. It would be easy for God to say, I'm just going to save people. But he came down and said, no, I'm not just going to say that I'm going to save people. He said, I'm going to pay the price. And God became flesh. This is the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus was not just a container for God. He was actually God manifest in the flesh. And in that flesh, he bore every infirmity. In that flesh, he carried everything that would ever be felt by any humanity. In that flesh, God carried it to the cross. He endured it for the joy that was set before him. He paid the price. Don't think, oh, this didn't cost God anything. No, he paid the price with no guarantee that you would even accept. He was willing to pay the price to go through it for us to be able to say, no, God, that's not good enough. I'm just going to do my own thing. He was willing to give it all. Give it all. He paid the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Here it is. Don't don't separate the two. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we we don't, like Leviticus talked about in the Old Testament, we don't make markings for the dead on our flesh. We don't go around piercing everything. 
We don't go around uh, uh, just doing whatever we want and, 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 and taking whatever drugs and, and inebriating ourselves that causes perversion of, of the ways that we walk. We, 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 we abstain from those things. We retain a, a sacredness, a sacredness for the body of Christ, a sacredness for the temple of the Lord. It, it's not that we're looking at anyone else down and saying that, oh, look at them, how horrible they are and how much better we are. No, no, no. We just have the understanding that we no longer are, are, are the ones that have the authority. It's no longer my body. I've been redeemed by God. If it was my body, I, I would still be heading to the grave. If it was my body, I'd still be rotten and deteriorating. If it was my body, yeah, I wouldn't really care because there wouldn't be much hope. But what I have now is not my own. It is bought with a price. I have a promise of resurrection that is inside of me. So, so I'm not moved by the world. I don't walk like the world and talk like the world and think like the world and dress like the world and treat myself like the world. I, I, I want to take care of the body of Christ and I want to glorify God in my spirit and in my body. Hallelujah. Now we can be really good in Pentecost at talking about glorifying God in our spirit. But we also need to glorify God in my body Amen. as well. And everybody said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We come now to the division in this book, and we have looked at reproofs or, uh, uh, for the church, and now we come to not just Paul's reproofs on things that he's heard and seen, but now we come to specific instructions for the church, or what some would say is Paul's answers to their questions. As he segues the two, he's going to begin to answer the questions that they have asked, and, and we can probably presume that he's not answering in the order that they asked them, but rather he's answering them in the order that he wants to give. He just came through the reproofs talking about sexual immorality, things that shame publicly, and then things that were internally wrong. He returns to sexual immorality, and now he's going to segue into talking about sexuality or, or sex in marriage and also singleness and what that implies and, and, and his admonitions there. From this, we can understand that clearly sexual holiness is important. This matters to God. We can talk about all other kinds of holiness in our lifestyle. Our conversational holiness. We could talk about our behavioral holiness. We could talk about all of those things. But here, Paul is putting a lot of emphasis in this letter, this epistle to the church here at Corinth, largely because they are surrounded by such a pagan minded, uh, uh, sexually drunk and promiscuous, rampant sex culture of that day and age. They were, they were, uh, uh, divorce was easy come, easy go. Remarriage was easy come, easy go. Following the time of the, of, of, of the Romans and the, the Greek cultures, uh, later on in I Islam that would come and dominate this same area, which um, they could be married up to, I think, four women at a time. This was a very male-dominated culture. This was very... Uh, 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 
over-sexualized culture, if I'm trying to paint the picture here enough without being too explicit. Uh, it did not bode well for women in general, and, and unless you had given into it and bought into it and accepted it and sort of manipulated your way and your, your means uh, uh, through that lens and through that understanding. And so now Paul is going to give some very clear teaching that not only counters things in their culture, but it's also going to counter things that have crept into the church, because that's really the issue at hand, is what is happening in the church. And so tonight, in the next 10 minutes, we're going to try to get through nine verses. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's all right. Don't laugh too hard. Now concerning the things whereof we wrote unto, whereof ye wrote unto me, and this is how we know he's making the change here, because he's going to repeat this several times. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And we understand that what he's talking about here is that uh, uh, sexual implication. We know that's the context there. This is not a passage where we would say you, you, cannot, hand, you cannot shake a woman's hand in that kind of a greeting. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife. Now, now notice this is this is counterculture. Remember, I just said this was a male-dominated culture. And you understand what he said here. He's not just speaking to men, he, he's saying, let every man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. He's giving, he's giving platform, he's giving. Equal status here to the women. Let the husband render unto the wife, and likewise the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again. He's not saying take her out to Denny's. He's saying come together in the context of matrimony, in sexual intimacy, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or your lack of self-control. Now, this is pretty... Paul is not leaving much to the imagination. He is not merely implying here. He is being very clear and very direct in a letter that is going to be read publicly in a setting of believers to both married and single. Because Paul is speaking to an issue that they can't get away from whether they pretend to or not. It's everywhere. And we live in a day and age where it's everywhere. You can't watch a news program, a nightly broadcast, and not see things come across through ads or whatever else. You can't check out at the grocery store without seeing all the tabloids and all the headlines. This is pervasive all around us. This is the Word of God. This is not my opinions, my ideals. This is not pastor's thoughts. This is what Paul says is good admonishment for the church. And so he's going to give some instructions here. He says in verse 6 now, I speak this by permission. What's this meaning? This means this is good advice. Under the authority of the Lord, 
and not of commandment. Why is he saying this is not of commandment? Because he's going to make an allowance. It is not a command that everyone be married. It's not a command that everyone be single. We can assume by this that Paul is stepping on some toes at this point in the letter pertaining to what's going on in the church at Ephesus. For I would that all men were even as myself, I, as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. And I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, and he's going to go on later on in the chapter, and he's going to give a great, great admonishment on why there are benefits of being called to singleness, why that's an important thing. Paul is doing something extremely countercultural right here. He is elevating singleness in the church society, which was looked down upon in the civilization that they were living in that time. But then he goes on and says, But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And we've always used that verse tongue-in-cheek in the church to say as if it was something that was, was looked down upon. Paul is not doing this. He's not saying this condemningly. Otherwise, every single one of us in here that have been married or ever got married are doing so because we're just horrible humans that can't control the lust of our flesh. That's not what Paul is saying. So let's walk, let's walk through this. Are you okay? We got five more minutes here? All right. Twice he uses the phrase, it is good. He uses the phrase, it is good to not touch a woman. It is good to remain uh, even as I, he says. Both of those times, Paul is giving us a sense that ultimate good has less to do with us and more to do with God. That how we live, the good things that happen in our life, totally relate to God and His will and His purpose and His kingdom in our life. What the world calls good is not good to God. What we call good as a people is good as seen through the lens of God. The eye of the Lord. When he tells them to remain as I, it was a cultural thing. No, if you didn't have a wife, you, you sh not only would, would, would you culturally been out of place if you had never been married or, or never given yourself, uh, uh, you, you, you could go get a wife really easy. And if you didn't like that one, just go get another one. That was the kind of thing. It was sort of a cultural kind of initiation kind of thing. And Paul is saying, no, it is good. doesn't matter what the world says. If you are called by God and given a gift of singleness to be devoted to the ministry in the kingdom of God. That is good. And over here he's saying to somebody else, it is good for you not to touch a for a man not to touch a woman. What's he talking about? He's talking about sexual interactions between men and women. Just because the world says this is acceptable and this is what you have to do to be invoked or to be received by them, that does not mean it's good. What is good is when you obey the will and the purpose of God. And you entreat them in the church as brothers and sisters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not as male and female prostitutes. Amen? Amen. So our good 
should not be defined by the culture or by the world. So look at what he says. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. To avoid fornication. What, what's, what's he saying here? To avoid, avoid sexual immorality. This is a natural thing that God put in us. He's the creator. He's the one that made us this way. He's the one that made us this way. Your desires, there's, there's some thinking that in church history has said, well, just because you have sexual desires, you are of the devil. No, we are created by God. He put those things inside of us. And so the intention to avoid this, let every man have his own wife. Note the singularity here. That was counterculture. And let every woman have her own husband. This also is countercultural because he's elevated the status of the woman. Let the husband now, here he goes. So, so to be married is good. This is a natural thing. God has brought this together. When you are married and, and you have a healthy marriage, you will not be tempted. This is by implication what Paul is saying. To avoid fornication, you will not be tempted by that when you are together uh, uh, in the bonds of holy matrimony. Now, does that mean that you're not going to ever be tempted? No, but there's going to be a, a curtailing of temptation in your life through marriage. This is Bible. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Sexual activity for the Christian is not to be centered in oneself, but it is to be centered in the other. This is countercultural to our day and age today. In today's world, sex is all about my desires, what I want, what I can get. What I like, what I, 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 I. Paul says, uh-uh, that's not how you approach it. When you come, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and the wife unto the husband. You, you, you don't approach marriage saying, look at what I'm going to get out of this. That's not what you're coming into. You are coming into it and you approach it to serve the other. You are to serve and to live for the other. This is what a man and a, a, a husband and a wife ought to do. The sexual activity of the Christian is not centered upon what you want. It's centered upon what your spouse desires. As principled elsewhere in giving, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The pleasure is in fulfilling others. There is to be, hear me tonight, there is to be no force of pleasure that is drawn purely on your own selfish desires through abuse or anything else. You know why marriages in the church have problems so much? Because we're letting the world inform us what marriage and sexuality is about. So we've got to redeem this. I know, I'm, I know I'm being bold. I know I'm being candid. I know some of you might be tempted to blush in talking about this stuff, but this is the Word of God. And we need to redeem what the world is trying to tell our children and our, our, our marriages today. So there is no force of pleasure. You, you don't... You, you, you don't uh, uh, well, let's go on. Let's go on. 
I'm going to run out of time. Number four, here it goes. Verse four, the wife hath not power of, of her own body, but the husband, and, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now here is a verse that you cannot read only half of. <laughs> without causing a lot of abuse. Here is a verse that you have to read the whole together. You both approach this from the understanding that there is an authority that they have over me, and he uses the terms of authority, power here. Why? To reinforce the teaching that he gave before. It's not about me it's about them. My attitude is not what can I get. My attitude has to be how can I best serve them. And when you have this principle established in that relationship, it will expand to all other areas of the relationship. Amen. Amen. And so that's how you have to approach this. This is good teaching. Not because I'm teaching it. It's good teaching because it's the Word of God. And it is counter to almost most movie scenes and movie sets and most fairy tale stories. And we just came through Valentine's. And so much of what the world has is upside down. It is messed up. And this is Paul trying to redeem it. And I'm going to tell you this. If Paul had enough faith in his day to write a letter to the church at Corinth that was dealing with the problems they were dealing with, and he had faith that God could redeem it, I believe God can redeem anything in our culture and our world today. As it said somewhere else, you have everything you need to make it. God has already given us everything we need to make it. It's probably going to take us at least another week, maybe two more weeks, to be able to go through this single chapter. In chapter 7, he talks, about, uh, he talks about marriage. He talks about abiding in the same calling that you're in. He talks about marriage with an unbeliever. He talks about singleness. He elevates that. And then he talks about widows. He also talks about remarriage. And this is some keystone passages, if you will, for health in the church. We need a healthy understanding of right doctrine about sexuality, marriage, relationships, and, and, and singleness in the church. And this was taught in a setting of both marrieds, widows, and singles. It was taught in that setting. It would have been read in that setting. And we need to know that. So just because you're, you're not married and you're never going to get married, let's say, doesn't mean that you don't need to know what the Word of God says about that. Just because you've been married and you've not been single doesn't mean you don't need to know what the Word of God talks about being single. Because it is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me tonight? Amen. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? And I want the Word of God to have free course, as the Apostle said. I want the authority of the Word of God to be able to come into my life, wherever I'm at, and speak to me right in my context and right in my situation. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been married at all, there's nobody that's had a perfect marriage. 
There's always been struggle. There's always been things. There's always been issues. Marriage is work, and it's hard work. One of my favorite marriage books is the sacred, I think it's called The Sacred Marriage. And the subtitle is, What If Marriage Is More About Making Us Holy Than Making Us Happy? And it gets at the heart. It's so biblically based because marriage really is. There is a holiness in there when we understand. The key to marriage is understanding it's not all about me. It's all about living for the Lord. And with that knowledge, Paul says, look, it's not about you anyways. If you're trying to get married because it's all about you, you're, you're getting married for the wrong reasons. Just stay single and live for God and give everything to the Lord. And if God, for some reason, doesn't have that for you, the, well, then don't worry about it. Get married. Because the last thing we want in the church is somebody that's running around trying to get married and they can't get married and they can't focus on the things of the Lord. Just get married. Get it over with so you can go on with your ministry. Better to marry than to burn. But don't look around at somebody who's not married as, as less than. Don't look around at somebody else that's living a monogamous life as, well, they're not as cultured. Bless God, they don't know as much. Well, that's right. They don't know as much. And they're the ones that are better off for it. And redeem it because it is good, not according to what we think or what the world thinks. It is good as it relates to the Lord. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for the blessing of your instruction in all things. That God, you lead us, Lord, in places that we don't know very much about or where we've been taught so many wrong things and led astray. I pray that your word would have authority in our hearts and in our life. Pray that you would open up our eyes and our understanding to see that this body that we live in, though still corruptible, still matters to you. And that there is a promise of the resurrection that someday, God, this corruption may take on incorruption. And I pray, God, that we would live giving you our temple, our body, and our spirit for the glory of the Lord. I pray you bless every home and every family that's here tonight. God, every marriage, every single, every widow, widower, every child, every young person here tonight. And let us live our lives according to your will. And let it be pleasing in your sight. And let all of the glory come back to you. And we give you praise and we give you thanks for one more day. Let us serve you another day. And bring us back again, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, in Jesus' name.